you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. As you're headed there, I'll let you know maybe as a heads up that this is the, the last of this part of, of Exodus, this kind of section. Next week, we head into Exodus 20, which will be a, uh, which is where the Ten Commandments are first found. And so we will spend the next 10 weeks in the Ten Commandments, taking a commandment at a time. So uh, that will be a little different feel than what we have been doing, taking larger chunks of, of narrative, of story in that sense. And so uh, in the weeks ahead, we'll just spend one sermon at a time, really trying to understand what God has to tell us through his commandments uh, that he gave to Moses and to the people of Israel. So that'll be what is ahead. But in Exodus 19, they're just arriving at Mount Sinai, where those will actually be given, but they haven't been given yet. So there's, there's still some stuff we will have to find out, learn about even still today. I was, I was thinking some about what we will see and who God is and who we are. And uh, interestingly enough, I, I came across this uh, story, if that's the right word. So in the late 1980s and the early 1990s, there was an epidemic of people, pr primarily men, using steroids for muscle gain. Now that had been taking place already and it sadly still happens today, but mostly this was, again, men were using steroids to give them added dosage of synthetic testosterone. It was, began primarily being used with bodybuilders and uh, guys who were trying to look even stronger than they were, so look a certain way, or even larger athletes like football players uh, because it was not all uh, handled in quite the right way. Uh, it, it was masked mostly in larger individuals. Their motto, the, the way that they were seeking to do this was to be bigger, faster, and stronger, right? Bigger, faster, stronger. And, and the way to do that was to pump their muscles with this synthetic fake testosterone that wasn't really theirs, right? But what was realized was that as soon as these guys, these men stopped taking their steroids, they were no longer as big or as fast or as strong. That makes sense, right? You see, the use of steroids produces a false sense of strength. It wasn't actually their strength. Now, you might argue it was them lifting the weight or them running the race or them doing the thing, sure. But... They, they couldn't maintain that without this fake synthetic testosterone. Yeah, they could lift more weight or hit the ball farther or whatever the thing was, but that was really only based on something else that was not their own. They were only bigger and faster and stronger because of something that had been added to them. That's similar to how it works with God. We may think, that we, in and of ourselves, are able to do great things. That we are able to do the, the bigger and the faster and the stronger, but in reality, it is God who is doing the work. He is the one who is bigger and faster and stronger. I often say, I think many of you have heard me say this before, that when you see God for who he is, 
you will see yourself for who you are. And when you see yourself for who you are, you will realize your desperate need for him. So he, like over and over and over in scripture, when someone has an encounter with God, they realize how big and strong and mighty this God is. And their reaction to that is almost always, I'm not that. I'm not strong like that. I'm not mighty like that. I'm not powerful like that. I'm not wise like that. I'm not that. And so quickly, there's a realization of who you really are. And who you really are, ladies and gentlemen, who you really are is someone in desperate need of this one true God. That's that's who we are. We are are not God. That's really the point of Exodus 19, that we'll find. We'll be seeing this steep contrast between God and man, because we are not God. In fact, even as we launch right into it, the, the first truth that we'll see in this contrast is that God is the kind protector while we are the carefully preserved. God is the kind protector while we are the carefully preserved. Look at these first few verses. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. And while Moses went up to God, the Lord called down to him, called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Verse four, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Right? This is the work that he's done. So there, the people of Israel are now, have come to this place, to Mount Sinai. And Moses is going up on the mountain and the Lord is speaking to him. And he's reminding them once again. I feel like this reminder uh, seems so, uh, it, it, to me it seems unnecessary, but I guess they are much more like us than we realize, right? Or maybe we're much more like them because they need that reminder over and over. This was just weeks ago or months ago. They're like, remember what I did? And for us, sometimes we have to have that reminder too. Remember what I did? He says to us, remember what I've done for you? Look, you yourselves have seen. You saw what happened to the Egyptians. Remember, it was just a few chapters ago for us when he wiped out the Egyptian army. He took them out. He, he did it. And they didn't do it. They, they, were, they didn't even fight a battle. They did nothing. They walked on dry land and got to the other side and then turned around and the water and like took over the Egyptian army. This is him being a protector. I don't know if you've ever thought of him as such, but that's what God was doing, right? He was protecting his people from harm. That's, that's what he was doing. Sometimes... That's done through uh, kind of disarming the enemy. Sometimes that's done by annihilating or even killing the enemy. 
And then sometimes, as protector, your job is simply to be the one who takes the punches. Right? Your, your, the, the work of a protector sometimes has this, uh, it chooses to destroy the enemy, and then it's done. You know, nobody has to take any punches. But then sometimes the protector is one who acts as that shield. The, the arrows still come. The, the punches still fly. But somebody has to take them. And I was thinking of that. While in this case, what we see, even as God is reminding Moses here, God protected the people of God by eliminating the enemy. Years later, Jesus' way of protecting us was by taking the punches. See, in, in that case, you and I deserved death. We were the ones who, who should have been hanging on the cross. We were the ones that should have taken lashes on our back, should have been spat upon, should have had a crown of thorns shoved into our head and a a spear pierced into our side. We deserve that because we are sinners. We're wicked people. Scripture even says that we are like children of wrath. We are wicked. Like That's our, our nature, sinful nature. But God, who is rich in mercy sent his son, Jesus, to take on the punishment for us. That's a a different level of protection, right? Now, he certainly, Jesus is God. Try, we've been having some of these conversations at our house a lot recently, but uh, it's hard enough for me to understand it as a 40-year-old who has like three religion degrees and... uh, much less for a 12-year-old who's trying to wrestle with this Trinity thing and with the humanity and divinity of Christ, right? I was like, ah. I always ask that question at 1030 at night, by the way. Um, but, But what we realize is this, that Jesus, who is God, could have just wiped him out, right? He didn't have to go to the cross. It doesn't seem like he could have just, but no. Instead, Jesus took took the punishment for us. He carries it for us. This is the richness of the gospel. This is the good news that you're hearing today. That that if you would turn from your sin, stop trying to fix it yourself and trust in this Jesus who's taken the hits for you. If you trust in him, you can spend eternity with him. This sounds like a good place. Be with the eternal protector, the one who's going to forever protect you from further harm. In fact, I wonder if you've ever thought of the reality that the Lord protected you long enough to hear the gospel. Some of us, like myself, maybe you turned to Jesus at a really young age. I was, I was six years old when I realized I was a sinner and needed Jesus. But some of you, it wasn't until you were later in your teens, maybe in your 20s or your 30s even. I know uh, a church member who, who turned to Christ when he was in his 40s. 
Do you realize that God chose to protect you all of those years? Have you ever thought of it that way? That, that you, you made it to the time that you heard the truth of the gospel and you responded. Guess who protected you all of those years? Guess who bore you on his wings? Carried you all of that way. I found myself uh, recently as I've been praying for the unreached. Those, those that are not just unreached, meaning uh, they don't have the, uh, they haven't heard the gospel, certainly those, but, but also those who are, uh, have no one near them to share the gospel with them. You've heard me talk about this, this group of people before. It's some over 3 billion people in the world today, some 7,000 people groups who have no Bible in their language, right? So, so there's no Bible, no church, no believers in their language to be able to speak this truth, this good news, that there's someone protecting them. My, my most recent prayer for them is that God would choose to protect those people until the gospel gets to them. Keep them alive. Don't let them die because death means certain eternity in hell. Separated from God. Today happens to be International Day for the Unreached. And it has made me think of, of the Z people, we call them, who I have been praying for that the, they will have the gospel in their language soon. I'm praying for our, our people, like our church members, like the marshes who have been training to get the gospel to those who have never heard and who have no access to hear the gospel. Been praying for our missionaries in North Africa and in the Middle East and in Europe and in East Africa who are striving to get the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel. I'm praying that God would keep people alive, protect them, long enough for the good news to get to them. I've heard it said that the good news is only good if it gets there in time. See, this is one of the ways that the Lord chooses to protect his people. He protected you until the day you came to him. He kept you alive that you might hear of the truth of the gospel. And maybe it is that that is today. Maybe that's even right now, that right where you sit, you need to be turning away from your sin and trusting in Jesus. Don't delay. Don't wait. See this kind protector as one who is guarding you up until this very moment that you might turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. He is the kind protector. And our, our work in that is simply to be the one who is preserved, who is provided for. We're carefully preserved. We can't keep ourselves alive like that. We can't keep ourselves protected. We have to have someone else do that for us. But in addition to this, we find this truth in this text. God is the perfect ruler while we are his obedient possession. Look at the next verses, starting in verse 5. Now, therefore, 
If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. For these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you, may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the Lord to the people. We'll see what takes place right, right after that in verse 10 even. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. So here's, here's what's taking place, right? There is a ruler here. There is someone who is declaring they are in charge. He says, you should obey my voice. You should keep my covenant Hold fast to the promise, and you'll be, what will you be? What will we be? What will the people be? Treasured possession. In fact, he says, all the earth is mine. Don't get God wrong here. It's not like only the people of Israel were under God's charge. The whole earth is his. What he's saying to Israel is, you are my treasured possession. These Similar words get uh, stated again in Peter, by Peter, I guess, First Peter, when, when we're reminded that we have become this holy nation, a royal priesthood. We, this is us as believers. We are the treasured possession. It's not that the whole earth isn't God's. It's that we as the children of God are treasured by him and therefore should be obedient to him. We I think generally we like the idea that Jesus is king, right? It's a, even, even it sounds good, king of kings, Lord of lords. But if we really think about that, that is not just in name only. You know, there's all kinds of arguments uh, that is made on the other side of the ocean about the, the monarchy, in, in Great Britain, right? In the United Kingdom, and whether or not uh, it's just like for show, right? Whether or not they actually wield any power or not. And really, I don't have anything to do with that. I don't really even have a vote on that. It doesn't matter. What I do know is that our king is not king just for show. Like whether or not the the king and queen of, of England is or not makes no difference to the reality that the king of kings is the only king of kings. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. And when God here is saying that, that he is the one that you should obey, it's because he's the ruler. He's the perfect ruler. And this is where I think we, we like the idea of the king until we realize that the king sets the rules. And then our sinful human nature, selfish human nature is like, nah, I'd rather you just kind of sit on the throne and not tell me what to do. But a ruler, by definition, 
makes the rules. Like th that's in the word, right? The covenant, he says, the commands, he says. But I want you to, to, to know this truth, that his rules, yes, they are for his glory, but they are for your good. You know, sometimes as a, as a parent, you know that the rules you're setting are better for your children than what they think. Right? The, the time you think they should go to bed. It makes sense because you're saying, hey, this is, this is good for you because if you go to bed, you won't be terrible tomorrow. Right? So I'm going to tell you, you've got to go to bed at this certain time. Because tomorrow, I want to be able to spend time with you and not throw you against the wall, right? <laughs> I don't do that to my kids. But you know what I'm saying, right? You, you, you know that they're going to be ornery. They're not going to do well. Maybe they're even going to feel sick. All of those kind of things. So you say, like, you've got to go to bed. You know that, but they don't like that rule. Well, aren't we like that as the children of God? That God knows what's best for us. And we say, nah, I don't think you really know what it's like here. So I'm going to go my own way. You ever watched kids in the backyard? You know how the older brother always seems to stack the deck in his favor? When he's making the rules. I, I say this because I'm the youngest child in the family. And so, of course, I feel like this happened to me growing up. Okay, where my older brother would, would make the rules to the game, which was a made-up game that he primarily made up, and that it, it, however it worked, it played in his favor that, and this is, this is what I believe happened. It's why I always lost to him. It might also be why I'm fairly competitive to this day. But you know what I mean? When the rules are made, just, to, uh, just so happened to be most helpful to the one who's making the rules. But I want you to remember this. The perfect ruler, he doesn't work like that. He makes rules that although we may not like them, they're always for our good. Now, yes, they are for his glory. That's not to be hidden, not to be secret. That's not something I'm trying to kind of skirt around. They honor him the most but it is always for what is best for us as well. And sometimes, like it or not, he does know what's best. And sometimes, like it or not, we must be ones who obey his rules. His rules are so great and so helpful, it makes most sense for us to be obedient to them. Right, even as I, as I think about this setting us up for this list of 10 rules that we're going to walk through over the next 10 weeks, that, that we would be reminded that what God is, what like the boundaries he's setting for his people are for their good. The boundaries he's setting for us are for our good. They're for our benefit. Uniquely, though, we are not just obedient to him as though we are some robot, but as though the, it is what 
pleases us to do because we are called his treasured possession. We actually like doing what he says. I, I get it. Our sinful nature makes it hard for us to always like it. But it is what we want to grow inside us that it's, it's not just out of obligation, but it's out of a response to the fact that he calls us his treasured possession. And I want to I wanna follow this one who loves me like that. I want to obey this one who says this is for good, your good. Trust me. Right? I mean, if something is yours, you, you tend to take more care of it. Any of you remember your first car? Right? It might have been a piece of junk, but it was your piece of junk. Right? I remember the only thing I wanted in a car was a paint job that if I washed it, it looked shiny. Because there was an option to get a car that no matter how many times I washed it, it would not shine. And all I wanted was that, it, you know what sad thing though is I didn't wash it quite enough. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's what I had in my head. It was, it was mine. I had worked hard for that first car. It was my treasured possession. So it was mine. I was taking better care of it than somebody else would have. How much more particular do you think that the Lord is toward us than we were toward our first car? That he would, he would want best for us as his treasured possession. We see God as this perfect ruler sets before us the expectation to do what he says. And it seems actually pretty simple in many cases. These do's and don'ts that we'll walk through over the next, generally speaking, it's like, okay, I, I should do that. It makes sense to not murder, not steal, not want what's not mine makes sense not to make idols. We'll, we'll unpack each of these things later, but it is best for us to simply follow the commands of our perfect ruler. Third contrast we see is that God is completely holy while we are sinfully stained. God is completely holy while we are sinfully stained. Look at verse 10 and following. Again, as I said, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not even go near a woman. 
You see, here's, here's what this really points out to us. This is evidence that we, as sin-stained humanity, cannot even be in the presence of perfection. God is even looking at us in all ways and saying, you're not clean enough. Here's what he's saying to the people. You're not clean enough to even hike up this mountain to where my presence is. And before I, before I even come down to speak to you, you better consecrate yourself, cleanse yourself, wash your clothes, wash your body, purify your thoughts, do all of these things before I even come near you. You won't be ready. You're, you're not clean enough. You, you can't get there. The, the cleansing that was necessary is still necessary today. It's just not found in our righteousness. Instead, it's found in the righteousness of Christ. This is a, a good theological time here, like ex explanation here. We have this, this term, the imputed righteousness of Christ. The, what is given to us, what we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. See, in and of ourselves, we are unrighteous, right? We are wicked. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. You cannot gain righteousness in your works. Now, we might attempt to do so, but we will fail. So when you attempt to do this work of, of gaining righteousness on your own, you are making the assumption that Jesus' work is insufficient for your righteousness. Does that make sense? So if, if Christ's work on the cross, his death on the cross, is what offers us the righteousness of Christ, his righteousness then us trying to earn it some other way means that his death is insufficient. Didn't actually do what he said it was going to do. So when you add extra work on top of his grace, you are maybe even unintentionally saying that his grace is in fact insufficient. We see in scripture that his grace is sufficient for us. We are saved by grace not by grace and. Not by God's gift that we don't deserve and we prayed hard enough. And we gave enough. And we fill in the blank. Now, we just spoke of being obedient to him, but our obedience to him is not, out, is not in order to save us because if you remember, he's already done the protection. He's already provided the protection for us. He's already, now he's giving us rules because we've been protected by him, because we've been rescued by him, because we've been delivered from sin and slavery by him. So remember that when you confess your sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Not after you pray a certain number of times or give a certain amount of mon money, but simply because he gives you grace. This is what we see, that in our need for cleansing, this can only happen through Christ. 
which leads to this final contrast. God is all-powerful while we are all weak. I wish there was an even stronger word than weak that I could have thought of. Maybe I should have used a thesaurus for this. But weak gives the implication that maybe you have a little bit of strength on your own. It's like you're, you're completely fatigued. Anybody ever been that kind of sick? Where you're, you're laying in the bed and it's time to just take the medicine and you reach for the water and like your hand just won't get to your lips. And it's like you take your other hand and you're hoping that maybe you can get it there. Like you're just that fatigued. It's that weak. That's who we are. Like we're not, we're not kind of weaker than the other guy. We have, we're all weak. Here's what it says in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they, they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. When you see God for who he is, you will see yourself for who you are. And when you see yourself for who you are, you will realize your desperate need for him. You see, there wasn't a, a statement in here that described how weak the people were. But if, if you were there at the, the foot of that mountain, do you think you would, you would look to the, the fire and the smoke and you would hear the thunder and the lightning and you would think, man, I'm pretty strong. Is that, is that what you think your response would be? That you would look to the might and the power and the strength and the, and the loudness of God and you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like that. No way. You would look to that and you would say that, whatever that is, is way bigger, way faster, way stronger than I am. I can't do that. His power was on display. And we see later in Scripture that these sorts of descriptions uh, even have correlation to God's strength in particular. Thunder and lightning and thick cloud and, and uh, trumpet blast. These are things that we see both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see this in the book of Revelation where we see that he's coming this way. And, and, and so I, I would just argue for us that what we are seeing is the power and might of God on display for us to be reminded that we are not God. So we need him to do what we cannot do. I wonder if that's something you realize that 
what you need from God can only be found in God. Because you're not him. And your spouse is not him. And your boss at work is not him. And your children is, are not him. There's only God who is God. It's all powerful while we are all weak. So I wonder if you recognize your deed for him today. I do believe that some of you here today, for the first time, need to truly trust in Jesus. You need to believe in him. You need to turn away from yourself, from your thought that you can do it. Turn away from your sin. This is called repentance. Turning away from all the stuff that you think you can do to earn it. Instead, you need to trust in Jesus. The one who did, who, Jesus, who is God, who came to earth to take the punishment that you deserved and that I deserved, to carry it himself. And so, rest in his power. Place your faith and your life in his hands. And maybe there's some of you who have done that. You've, you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, but then when it comes to all the other stuff in life, you tried to take it back. Said, ah, oh, man, thanks for saving me. Now I'll make my own plans. Now I'll go my own way. Thanks for your rescue, ruler. I like you better just kind of in name as king than actual ruler over me. So we're just going to kind of leave you there. I'll, I'll show up to church on Sundays, and I'll, I'll read my Bible kind of sometimes. I'll pray when I need to, but, like, I'm going to... I'm going to take care of those big decisions by myself. I've got this. But instead today, I, I pray that you would look to the one who speaks with the voice of thunder and say, I'm not God. I need to trust you. Not just for salvation, but for every decision, every action, every step that I take, every word that I speak. Trust in him. Follow his commands. In just a moment when we stand to sing, maybe it is that you, you just say as your response today, Lord, I need you. I, I need you right now to do what only you can do. I need you to forgive me. I need you to...
desperately need, Lord. Would you stand with me as we respond to him?